This is the Groupfinity Podcast, episode number seven. Welcome to the Groupfinity Show, a podcast for leaders of volunteer organizations. We take the guesswork out of what works so you can focus on your mission, accomplish more, and get rid of administrative madness. And now, your host, who knows you are the 20% who does 80% of the work, Anthony Wilson. Welcome to the Groupfinity Podcast, no matter where you are and whenever you may be listening. Welcome back, Groupfinity Nation. Today, we're going to hear part two of my interview with Beth Sandifer. Beth gave us so much, we had to break it down into two interviews, or at least two parts of an interview. Part two is shorter than part one, but the conversation changed enough that I thought it warranted two parts. The key takeaways in part two are, number one, revenue enhancers are great, but just don't do too many. Number two, focus on your organization's strengths. And number three, bigger is not necessarily better. Two smaller events may be better than one big one. Check out groupfinity.com for the show notes and links for this episode. Under the resource section for this episode, you'll find a downloadable PDF titled, How to Incorporate Your Mission into Your Decor. So here's part two of my interview with Beth. I'll see you on the other side to wrap it up. So you have a video on YouTube with the greater giving and it's around revenue enhancers. Can can Uh you tell us a little bit about revenue enhancers and, and why should we think about using them? Sure. So revenue enhancer is kind of the industry term for um, all the different games and raffles that we do in addition to things like a power raise and a live auction and a silent auction. And the thought behind it is that not everyone that comes to your event is going to have the kind of budget where they can make a significant gift in your power raise or fund the need or can buy a big live auction item. You know, you'll have some people that maybe they can't do those things, but can participate in a silent auction. And, you know, some people will do both, but you have some people that maybe they can afford a ticket, but they can't afford anything else, you know, or just, or just aren't that engaged enough yet that, okay, well, my friends are just come to this event. So I bought a ticket, but like, I'm not really invested yet in the other things. So the revenue enhancers are other ways to get your audience um, participating in your event in a way that's going to generate revenue. Because if you're throwing a fundraising event at the end of the day, it's all about how do you raise the most money, right? So the revenue enhancers, you know, there's a bunch of different versions of a raffle that you can do, you know, any kind of game sort of thing. I have uh, an event that I'm doing in New Orleans in January where we're going to have people play Plinko um, where they'll get to pay, you know, $20 or whatever it is. It's at a conference, um, but they'll get to pay like $20 and, you know, drop their Plinko chips on the Plinko board and they could win a gift card to something. Well, that's an easy, like nobody thinks about $20, right? That's, that's, that's an easy spend or, you know, a raffle ticket that's anywhere from $50 to $100. Or maybe you're doing something like a cork pull or a wine toss or, you know, some kind of you know, wine game where people are paying, you know, 25 or $30 and they're guaranteed to win a bottle of wine. Like it's an easy spend. I think the, the trick to, or the key to revenue enhancers is not to have too many because you don't want people to feel like they're being nickel and dimed because your big supporters are still going to do this stuff. Cause like, Oh, I'm here to support. And so I'm going to do all the things. So I'm going to buy a raffle ticket and I'm going to be in the silent auction and I'm going to bid in the live auction. And you don't want them to feel like nickel and dimed all the way, but it's just making price points available at all budgets for people to be able to support your organization. Would a 50, 50 auction, um, would that fall into a revenue enhancer? It does. Um, one word of caution on 50-50 raffles is to check 
the raffle laws in your state. Um, in California, I know professional sports organizations can do a 50-50 raffle, but a non-profit you, there's an, it's a 90, 10 disbursement. So for anyone that doesn't know, it's 50, 50 raffle is, you know, you buy into the raffle pool and however much money is raised for the raffle, 50% goes to the organization and 50% goes to the winner. And in California for nonprofits, 90% of the raffle proceeds have to go back to the organization. So you can't do a 50, 50 raffle if you're a nonprofit. It may be different for other, I mean, I know it's different for other states, so check your state, but any kind of raffle, falls under that revenue enhancer category. That's interesting. Yeah, I was just at a baseball game recently and they did a 50-50 auction in the stands. And then I saw your video and you said in some states it, it was, uh, in California, was it legal to do that? And so I didn't know that there was a stipulation between professional sports organizations and nonprofit organizations. Yeah, and people get caught up in that a lot. I mean, especially, I mean, I'm based in California, so it's what I'm the most well-versed in. But, you know, right? You go to the baseball game, we see it. I'm like, oh, well, they did it at the Giants game. Like, we should be able to do that. And it's like, well, but you can't. And there's also, there's permitting that you have to do around raffles or on the nonprofits. And it's a very, in California, it's a very simple, it's like a $10 permit that's good for a year. You know, it's not like, it's not a complicated process, but people don't realize they need to get it. So raffles, depending on your state, can be considered gambling. And so like a rat in California, like a raffle ticket isn't a tax deductible donation, you know? So there's like, there's little stuff like that, that I would just, um, if you're doing any kind of raffle, just make sure you've researched with whatever your state board is to make sure that you're adhering to all the requirements. But then, I mean, everybody does them. It's hard to go to an event that doesn't have some kind of, you know, raffle for something. Um, so they, they are a great way, again, to add a lower price point for guests and also just to have an activity sometimes, you know, playing a game like Plinko or doing a wine poll, you know, or, or a wine toss, you know, something like that. It also gives your guests something to do during the reception if they're not, you know, bidding on silent auction items or engaged in other activities. Um, okay, so I know you've been totally generous with your time today, so <laughs> I, don't want, I don't want to keep you forever, but I just have a couple more questions. Sure. Um, so one is I like to ask my my X questions, which is uh, number one is my group should be X before we consider doing any type of event. I mean, are you asking what the X should be before that? Yeah. Huh, that's a tough question. I think I don't think there's any there's no one size fits all answer, right? I think that what I said earlier about really looking at your own organization and seeing where your strengths are versus just saying, Oh, I saw this other organization do this and I want to do that too. I think that's really the thing you need to look at. Um, you know, if for example, you've never had a fundraising event before and you want to have one, but you don't have a good solid donor base to work with, like, well, maybe starting out an event that's a big, you know, auction and power raise and you're asking all this stuff, like maybe that's not where you start, like start with a smaller event. That's more about, building donors and connecting them to your cause and less emphasis on, and we need you to give all this money, you know, at the event. So, you know, in terms of how many staff you should have or what kind of budget you should have, like there's no one size fits all for that. I think it's really looking at where are our strengths? What do we want to accomplish? Like, is there a feasible plan to get us from A to B that that's what you need to look at before you consider doing an event? Okay. Now what about the flip side of that? And I know this is a broad question, but my, my group should not be X if we want to do an event. Again, I don't know if I have a direct 
answer to this, but I can tell you a story about an organization that I worked with. It's a private school that they were doing a big gala, you know, sort of traditional silent auction reception, go in and sit down for dinner, live auction, you know, paddle raise, fun to need, you know, that whole thing, big production value. And they started looking at their events and realizing, you know, our, our donations are kind of the same every year in terms of what our items are. Like we're not getting in new things. It's all starting to feel stale. We're spending more money than we should be spending on this event. Um, in terms of the cost benefit ratio, we feel like we're spending a lot. So they decided to, completely do away with their gala and they switched to they went from a a once a year big annual gala to two small events one in the spring one in the fall where a private donor you know one of their board members is underwriting like their fall event we're about to do in a couple weeks so a donor is underwriting you know just some very simple catering and wine people are going to come to basically a cocktail party they're not getting charged anything to come to the cocktail party they have a, a list of we call sign-up parties where you're just buying into a party, like buy spot, right? Like there's going to be a dinner at this fancy restaurant and it's hosted by so-and-so and like the seats are, you know, $150 per person and people just come up, come in and sign up for all of those parties. And they, I mean, obviously raise less at that event because people aren't buying tickets and tables and all that. But in terms of their net because they're spending less on the production of it. It's just, it's much more simple than what they've been doing before. The net actually works out to be a pretty decent return on investment. And then they do the same thing in the spring where again, a donor hosts it at their home, like very simple catering. People just, they come in, there's a couple of raffle items. They do a speech, they do a fund to need and, you know, they raise and raise money. And between those two things, they're actually doing better on their net revenue than they were on producing their one big annual gala. And it's a lot less work <laughs> for the staff to do those two very, you know, simple events. Um, same thing or similar. I had an organization I worked with in Oregon where I was doing some analysis on their, their live auction and they, the sense in the room was that they felt like they had corporate tables who were, like buying tables, filling them with guests, but the guests were people who didn't really care about the organization. Like they were sending junior staff who just wanted to go and have a free meal and drinks and have a party. Right. So we started doing some uh, analysis on their live auction, which is a very specific um, service that I offer. And we were able to like clearly show through data that like, yeah, no, those tables, like they're not spending money. They're coming to the party and they're not spending money. So they re worked all of their sponsor benefits and gave certain sponsors the option of like, just because you sponsored at this level, you don't have to have a table. If you were, you know, if you, it's important to us that you send bidders and people are going to be invested in our organization. And if you don't feel like you have those people, like that's fine. We'd rather use your money as or leverage you as a lead donor in our paddle raise, you know, and focus, you know, highlight you that way. And so they have people that bought into that. So they ended up with, a hundred fewer people at the event. And again, they didn't raise as much as they had the year before in terms of gross revenue, but they spent less because that's tables and chairs. They didn't have to rent and, you know, 10 fewer centerpieces for those tables and, you know, a hundred fewer meals and all of that. And, and their net went up and it was about, you know, tweaking the like, okay, well, we're doing this thing. This isn't working for us. So how do we eliminate that in a way that's going to ultimately make the event better? 
Does that, that's not a good answer. It does. That's an awesome answer. That's an awesome answer. And, and, it, and it leads me to, to another question. I thought about this as you were talking. Is the common theme through, through a lot of your responses is communication, right? Talk mm-hmm. to your donors. Talk to your community. Ask them what they want, what, what they'll participate in, what they'll donate for, um, how, how they want to be engaged. And I, I suspect that, that a lot of people listening now probably, um, or, or let's say they may not do that. What, 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 what do you, I guess, what are your thoughts around, you know, really engaging with people and giving people what they want rather than guessing what they want in a vacuum? Yeah. I mean, communication is really key and I've, I've seen it, I've seen it impact an event or, or an organization both successfully in a couple of ways. One is, I work with some organizations that as soon as an event is over, they actually send out a survey to guests and, you know, survey monkey, like the 10 questions that are free, right. Before you have to pay for an account, you know, whatever it is, but like just some basic, like, Hey, what did you think of our event? Is there anything you'd like to be changed? You know, what do you, you know, and, and, you know, you, we all know how surveys are, right. You guys, somebody that's not happy with something that they are more than happy to like tell you about it, you know, and a survey questions. So you kind of have to filter out a little bit of like, Oh, well that was, one person's experience or whatever, but you can still get some good feedback. I have then had organizations who then turn that around. And as soon as the event was over, they sent out the survey. And then while everything was still fresh, they held like a launch party for anyone who is interested in being on the steering committee for the next year. Like remember that party you just went to and like how great it was. You want to be a part of making that happen. Like, well, you should come and be on the steering committee and held a little thing where they invited people to the office and, you know, opened some bottles of wine and some crackers and cheese and kind of talked about what well, this is what it means to be on the committee. And like, you know, if you're interested, let us know um, and got new committee members who, and some of them had just been attendees. They weren't necessarily connected with anyone on the board or the regular volunteers, but they were guests at that event. And maybe they were new in town and wanted to meet people or whatever. And we're like, Oh, I'll be on that committee. So that, that has been very successful. And then I've really seen the communication thing change the way some organizations approach sponsor benefits, right? I think we all tend to approach sponsor benefits like, well, at the platinum level, you get all of this recognition and, you know, these things. And at the gold level, you get, you know, some of that. And at the silver level, you get a little bit less of that. And I've had some organizations that are being very successful in creating sponsor packages that are more, that are more flexible. So they're including things like, social media mentions or volunteer days because you have some organizations that want their their employees to do a certain number of volunteer hours. Like, well, if you have the kind of organization that, you know, could have 30 people come in and help clean up or build or whatever, like, well, hey, we have a, we have a volunteer day for you, you know, that you can have your employees, you know, things like that. Or the option of maybe you don't need a full table, but you'd rather be a lead gift for, you know, a, a, a fund to need or, um, there's an organization that I work with in Washington that I, it's brilliant what they do and I don't see anybody else do it where instead of doubling auction items in the live auction, right? When you've got two hot bidders and, oh, let's double this item and we make more money, which is great, but it's more burden on the donor because now the donor has to donate that item twice. They get sponsors for auction items where, you know, bidding gets up to a certain amount and they say, oh, you know, Alaska Airlines is sponsoring the, you know, this, this auction lot. And so if we can get bidding up to, you know, $15,000, they'll like, they'll match it and we'll actually make 30. Right. And so Alaska Airlines is getting their name out in a very prominent way. 
So coming up with sponsor packages that are have more options and have an ability to, you know, okay, maybe here's the base level where everyone gets these levels of recognition, and then you can pick two or three of these other benefits. So the sponsors get the things that they're really the most interested in and not just what you think that they should have. So you mentioned uh, when, when, in your answer there about SurveyMonkey, are there other tools that, that people should think about using to be useful in planning an event? I mean, I don't know. There's a bunch of software out there. I think the thing that people need to keep in mind whenever they're looking for new tools to help plan an event is how is that going to integrate into what you already have, right? So most people have a donor database that they work with all the time, and then they get sort of caught up into like, oh, there's this new fancy software that will do ticketing and do all these things. And I think you need to look at what you have and make sure that you already, do you actually need that capability that's additional or do you already have that functionality in a piece of software that you have? Or if you're going to sell tickets in another system, how does that integrate with your existing donor database? Like think about what that data management piece is and not overload yourself with too many things that actually will make it more complicated for yourself. That's kind of an ambiguous question, but I think that you can get too caught up in like, what is the new shiny tool you don't actually need. Beth, so thanks so much for joining us today. That was really great. Um, that was, uh, you gave us more nuggets than I was even expecting. So I really appreciate your time and, and sharing your knowledge. with. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's, you know, I, I love what I do and I love to talk about what I do. So I always appreciate an opportunity to talk about the thing that I love the most. Okay. And, and if people wanted to find you, how, how could they find you? So I am at Beth Sandifer everywhere. My website for my company, Beth Sandifer Events, is just bethsandifer.com. I'm at Beth Sandifer on uh, Instagram and Twitter, although much more active on Instagram. Beth is so awesome, and I'm so appreciative of the time she gave us here today. She shared a lot of really good ideas, and that's the idea here. She does events all the time, and we don't. We maybe do one a year. She's doing several a month. The value she brings is she does this all the time and she sees what works and frankly, what doesn't. And she's willing to share with us so we can implement these ideas for ourselves in our own events. Her information on incorporating decor into your event was a great bonus and I posted it in the resource section of this episode. So the key takeaways are number one, revenue enhancers are great, but don't go overboard and do too many. Number two, focus on your organization's strengths. And number three, bigger is not necessarily better. Two small events may be better than one big one and might yield more in fundraising proceeds. To make sure you don't miss out on anything, go over to groupfinity.com and join the community by clicking subscribe. Also, go to wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe to the show, and please be sure to leave a rating and a review. Until the next episode, this is Anthony Wilson. Be the leader that everyone wants to follow. Thanks for listening to the Groupfinity Podcast. For more information about the show, to leave comments and connect with the host, head over to www.groupfinity.com.